You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Dr. Marvin Fear about case presentations and case acceptance. Dr. Fear is a full-time practicing clinician and served as a dental officer in the U.S. Navy. He is a highly respected lecturer in the U.S. and internationally on multiple topics, including aesthetic and restorative dentistry. You've probably seen Dr. Fear on the cover of Dentistry Today many times. He writes for publications, and he's a very, very brilliant man, and we're happy to have him on the program. Uh, Dr. Fear, welcome to Dental Talk. It is a pleasure to be with you today, Phil, and I'm happy that we can talk about this. This is an important topic. Yeah, yes, it is. So let's get right to it. So we're talking about case presentations and case acceptance. So my first question is, what steps do you take to ensure the best possible result from your case presentations? That's a great question, and I think that the the whole thing starts at actually the very beginning when a patient enters the office. It sets the stage for what's going to happen at a case presentation. Uh, The first thing we do is we do an intake interview when somebody comes into the practice, and we ask who referred that patient, and of course, we make a compliment for the referring person because that's always important. And then I start asking open-ended questions, that questions that are not answered necessarily by a yes or no. And I also ask permission of that patient saying something like, I hope it would be okay if I ask you some questions. Is that okay with you? And that way that patient is not going to feel that I'm invading their space by opening and asking questions a whole lot. Hmm. And so that way we start the conversation and we really are having an interview. And I want to know why that patient is in my office. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a matter of a chief complaint or chief concern. I really un- want to understand what their goals are. And of course, that's after getting to know the person a little bit. Right. Well, that feeds into my next question, actually, because my next question was, why is it important to know your patient personally in addition to dentally? I think we have to know the patient personally because that's going to set the stage for doing a better case presentation. We'll actually be able to talk about their needs and the things they've told me in that intake interview. If I don't have that information, which is about that person, it makes the job a whole lot harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. So, um, so people have different ways of, of receiving the information. Obviously, we're all, we all have different personalities. What's the best way, and this is the big question actually for this podcast, uh, one of the big questions is what's the best way to present a treatment plan? And of course, our goal is to get high case acceptance. Well, you know, it's a great question again. And the fact is that people have several different styles of communication, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and digital, auditory, digital. Uh, For the most part, probably about 80% of the people communicate visually. And um, so so when we have a case presentation, I might be using visuals like I put together a PowerPoint, for example, with before and after pictures of that patient. But again, it goes back to that very beginning with the patient. We must create a relationship with the patient because the fact is that if we don't have a relationship and the patient doesn't come to trust us, no case presentation is really going to go far unless the patient comes in very specifically asking for a certain certain service. Mm-hmm. So could you give us some more details about building a relationship with the patient in that first visit? Of course. One of the things that I like to do is when I ask a question, I listen more than I talk. And 80% of that conversation should be the patient listening and patient talking, excuse me, patient talking and I listening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, And the bottom line is that I want to make sure that they understand that I know what they're saying, so I'm going to give them feedback. I might say something like, gee, I want to be sure that I understand what you said, and then I repeat exactly what they said to me. I want them to know that I'm listening to them, and that's so important in setting the the trust factor, if you will. 
Could you give us uh, more information about the best way for us to prepare for a case presentation? Absolutely. Um, and in, in that conversation that I mentioned before, the intake interview, the fact is that I'm going to ask that patient, and when I give them feedback, I'm going to try to use the word feel. For example, if a person says that they don't really like the way their teeth look, I'm going to ask them, how does that make you feel? Because the word feel is critical. Everybody makes decisions to buy things, whether it be services or products, based on emotional reasons, even though they may not realize it. Mm -hmm. It's been a tremendous amount of research, and we'll talk about that in the next podcast as well, but a lot of research on split brains and how people decide to buy things. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about it because it's so critical. It's the science of neuromarketing. Anyway, coming back to the patient, I'm going to mm -hmm. use that word feel, and I also use a technique called scaling, not scaling and root planning, but scaling to determine on the uh, determine with the patient how important that is for them. For example, if a person goes to an emergency room in a hospital in pain, the docs will always ask, what level is your pain on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst pain? And we're doing the same thing when somebody has a concern that we want to address. Somebody says, I don't like the way my smile looks. Okay, I might ask them on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does it bother you with 10 being I can't stand it and one being it really doesn't bother me a whole lot. Knowing that is helping me to prepare for that case presentation. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So and, what happens if they say uh, five? <laughs> and when if they say five, well, no, that's, it's, a re it's not <laughs> that I'm in trouble. It's just that it's good to know that because that means that it's kind of like do you want to buy a small, medium, or large. Usually people take a medium, so the five is medium. And in that case presentation I put together after the comprehensive exam and diagnosis, et cetera, I'll know that we can talk about it, but it may not be something that's as critical to a patient as some other interests. Right. Now, the other question is that when a patient has problems that they're not aware of, how do we deal with that? Mm -hmm. They might have bleeding gums and they kind of go, yeah, my gums bleed once in a while. And we probe them periodontally and we find a tremendous amount of pocketing. How do we tie that in at a case presentation? So let's say that they said, I don't like my smile, and then we find that they're in periodontal danger. Mm -hmm. We're going to tie those two things together in the case presentation. In other words, we're not going to say, but we can't do anything with your teeth and, and your smile until we get your gums fixed. We're going to say something like, you know, we're going to help you with your smile, and the word and is so important as compared to the word but, because once we say but, we're putting negative situations right, together. Right, right. No, that makes total sense. So you're bringing in the oral health of the patient into their level of expectations as far as aesthetics. That's absolutely right, Phil. And of course, the word and is the word to use rather than but. Right. And it reminds, me, it reminds me of something that is really important. You know, if a patient has a goal to do something, that's important. It's important in that in intake interview to determine what the patient's goals are for their mouth, their health, their smile. And there are sometimes short-term goals and long-term goals. And it reminds me of a gentleman who came in, a, a, an amateur baseball player, and he came in and handed me a cover of Sports Illustrated, and he said, I want these teeth. It was a picture of Mark McGuire, wow. a former baseball player who you know, got involved with steroids and all that. But he brought this picture in, and he hands it to me. He said, I really want you to do my smile. Make me look like him. I don't know. Maybe he wanted his batting average to go up. Who right, knows? right. But I don't know. Uh, if he, anyway. Did he have the, the pocket, the, the wallet that Mark McGuire has? That well, had. I'm sure he didn't. But the point is, he also <laughs> said to me, and this is critical, he said, I'd like to do my front teeth this year, and next year I'll do the sides and the back. Oh, he just gave me his treatment plan. He just <laughs> gave me what to say to him. 
in his case presentation. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't happen often, but the point is we need to know what the patient's goals are, whether they be short-term or long-term. Now, do you try, this might be in the next podcast, but we're, we're, let's wrap this one up. But my last question is, when you're interviewing the patient and you know, you've already done your comprehensive exam, do you try to sway them in a direction that's against their feel number? You know, what, whatever, okay, I feel that my aesthetics is a seven um, or maybe a three or whatever. Do you, and, and do you try to move them in a different direction or you, you just, whatever they're giving you back is where you want to drive that treatment plan? I understand that. And what I'm going to tell you is that I'm there to serve that person and satisfy their needs. And I have a situation that we'll talk about for a moment uh, where somebody came in and she was miserable because she had four lower incisors that only fit in the room of about three and a half. One was buccoverted, one was lingualverted, and she wanted straight front teeth, she said. Mm -hmm. So we talked about options, and my thought was, you know what? Orthodontic stripping, um, enamel stripping and alignment could work. Uh, removing a tooth and realigning the others could work. And she said, I'm not doing anything with orthodontics. I said, what about Invisalign? She said, I don't want to know about this. I said, what if we were able to give you a removable device that you could take out because she was a professor at Columbia University, a PhD professor, smart mm -hmm. woman, mm -hmm. and she didn't want to know about anything that had to do with orthodontics. She said, what else do you have? I thought to myself, you know what, there might be something else because I'd done something like I had to do for her if we did it restoratively. And we ended up doing something that was not my preference at all, but it was something that she jumped at because it was going to satisfy her goals. Mm -hmm. The only issue here was making sure that I satisfy the ethical responsibilities I have as a clinician. And that is, uh, I actually went back to the ADA code of ethics, believe it or not, and read it. First wow. time, maybe. Wow. I mean, I don't know how many of us do that, but I did it at this point. That, I was that's wondering. crazy. Yeah, it was really... crazy because she's asking me to do very much invasive dentistry, which ended up including veneers, crown, endo, et cetera, where she could have had this done in six months with ortho simply, but she wouldn't do it. So I decided I was going to present the treatment plan to her, and we did. So I didn't really push her. I didn't want. I tried to push her to ortho. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't go. There was right. no going. Now, so I mean, I had the there, there are some dentists that would say, you know, this doesn't work in our practice. Or are there? I assume there are that they would just say that there's another dentist that would probably help you with this. But basically, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an option that any clinician has. You take the case or you don't. And the bottom line is that I'm still there to serve her. And if I did have an, op have an option and I'm satisfying my ethical responsibilities, involving her in the decision, telling her the downfalls and all the reasons not to do it, and she opts to do it, I will do it for her because I'll do it well. Right. That's, no, that's because someone else is going to eventually do it and they may not do it well. What, what did the um, ethics readings that you came up with with the well, ADA, what did it say? To summarize it, one of the things that's important is to make sure that the patient is involved in the treatment decisions. Make sure the patient understands the pluses and minuses of different treatment decisions. And this is a woman that was intelligent. She understood everything. She was involved with it. And I also, again, had the right to not treat her. That's certainly something anybody can do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I felt that I had covered all my responsibilities of educating her, pluses, minuses, giving her the different treatment plans, making sure she understood. So I satisfied what I had to do, and we did a case for her, and she was thrilled. So the outcome was very, very satisfying the for the patient? It was very, satis very satisfying for her. I was satisfied with the outcome, even though it bothered me that I was doing a whole lot more dentistry than she ever needed. Right. 
Yeah. But that that's was her call. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a really kind of fascinating story that goes along with this podcast. And it's cool that you looked up the ethics. Uh, you're probably the only dentist in the country that <laughs> looked at that this year. Yeah. In, or ever. Um, but that was great. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Fear, for your time on this podcast. And we look forward to another one very shortly. Thanks so much for being with us. Phil, it was a pleasure being with you. Thanks a lot.